comes from the Gospel of Mark, and over the next three Sundays, we're going to be living in the Gospel of Mark at the end of the 8th chapter and the beginning of the 9th and the end of the 9th chapter of Mark. Mark, as you know, is one of the four Gospels, one of the four places in the Bible where we can find the story of Jesus. And Mark is one of, of the four, the one which is more cut to the chase. Let's just tell the story. Boom, boom, boom. And so that's the Gospel of Mark. As we were getting ready to come back for this fall season, and I was praying about this last spring, I realized that maybe it would be helpful to allow this part of Mark to guide us in our regathering back for this fall season, to to really think about what the disciples discovered in these passages we're going to look at for the next three weeks. Today's passage is a very powerful one because it is the highlight of the buildup of the entire Gospel of Mark. Up to this point, the disciples have been called by Jesus. They've been learning a little bit about Jesus. They've been following him. They're intrigued by him. They're even willing to say they're his disciples. But they're really clear they don't fully get everything about him. And especially today, as you hear in the passage now to be read to you, they discover some things that quite frankly shock them. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Help us hear, God, what there's so much within us that would keep us from receiving. Help us see through all the complexity down to the simple truth of what you need us to know. And help us to experience today what you always intended the people of God to be and how you needed them to be with each other. Bless my words and the meditations of all of our hearts and minds. In the name of Christ, to your glory. Amen. So what are we doing here? 
I want to start right off by letting you know the answer to the question. I'm not going to be coy. I want to make sure you know right from the get-go what we're talking about today. So take your bulletin. If you would like to do so, we find that sermon notes page and grab a pen or a pencil. And before you start writing your grocery list or whatever else you might be doing, I want you to put at the very top this very simple answer. What are we doing here? Everything that we are doing is about Jesus. Everything that we offer is ultimately about Jesus. Every class, every fellowship, every worship, every meeting, every fun time and every serious time, for us, it's about Jesus. Got it? So what are we about? Not bad. Not bad. Now, the choir knew how anemic the 9 o'clock group said Jesus then. So they helped you. So we're going to practice one more time. When we gather together in this church, fundamentally what we are about is raising money, right? Fundamentally what we are about is making sure we have a really just happy time. What we are about is making sure we realize that Rick is an amazing preacher. What we are about in this place, no matter what else we're doing, what we are focused on is the answer to every question, the hope for every life, and the way in which the world was always intended to be created. And his name is? Jesus. What? Jesus. His name is? Jesus. That's why we're here. Now, have you ever been asked a question by somebody who was an expert, and they were expecting you to give an answer, and you didn't know what the answer was? Or have you been ever asked a question by someone who expected you to know the answer and you didn't know it? I mean, it happens a lot. I mean, a five-year-old can do it to you because they think you know everything, and mostly you go with that. But have you ever had a small child ask you a question you did not know the answer to and you have that ethical dilemma? You can either say, I don't know, or you know you can fake it because they don't know. Have you ever been in that moment? Well, what if the person asking the question is the greatest expert in the world on the field? And you know you can't fake it. I was taking a class on the Psalms, the scriptures in the Old Testament, and it was in seminary, and there were 30 of us for a whole semester got to have this class on the Psalms led by Dr. Roland Murphy, who was universally accepted as the world-renowned biblical expert on the Psalms. He was in our class teaching. We had him for an entire semester. A whole semester of Roland, oh my God, he knows everything about the Psalms, Murphy. We were so excited. We were sitting there, and I had out my pen and my paper because we didn't have laptops back in the day. I... The pen and paper is a concept some of you don't know. I can explain it to you later. But that's how we did it. So we're getting ready to listen to him talk to us about the Psalms. And he gets up from behind the desk. And he sits there on the desk now, leaning against it. And he looks at the class and he says, So what's your favorite song? 
And I'm thinking this is a rhetorical question, but no, he really wants an answer. He wanted to know from every member of the class, what's our favorite song? So I start thinking, I don't know any songs. That's why I'm taking the class. So I'm trying to think, oh, wait a minute, I do know a psalm. I know the 23rd psalm. I mean, right? I mean, doesn't that the def- My grandmother taught it to me. I knew the 23rd psalm. I went, okay, I'm good. And so he asked, the first guy sitting over here in the corner, he says, what's your favorite psalm? And the person says, the 23rd psalm. Oh, shoot. That one's taken. That's okay. I did know this about the psalms. There are 150 of them. I knew that. So I'll pick a number. Right? It's like playing the lottery on Thursday night. Just grab a number and hope. So I figure, I think it was 122. I don't remember. But 122. I'm going to say 122. Boy, that's my favorite psalm. He says, ask the next person here, so what's your favorite psalm? And they said a number. And they said, why? I went, oh, man. I don't have a why. It can be tough when you don't know the answer you're supposed to know. I wonder, I think maybe that's how Peter felt. It had been a really, really good day. In fact, it had been a really good series of days for Peter and the disciples. They had been following Jesus, and the more they followed him, the more they liked what he was about and what he was doing. And most of all, they loved it because he was becoming more and more popular. I mean, he was doing things that drew people to him. Earlier, just a little bit ahead of where Beth started to read today, they had fed 4,000 people with virtually little, little food. It was a miracle. And right before where they start talking about this passage where where Beth read, Jesus heals a blind man and does it in a very public arena. So everyone sees that this healing has happened. And so everyone is amazed and people are talking about it and the energy is building and the crowds and the villagers are all just all excited about it and the disciples are loving the moment. Jesus, who they're following, is going to be really popular. And guess what? If you follow somebody who's really popular, maybe some of it will drip off on you. So they loved it. And they're sitting around that in the evening talking about the day, and they're all just energized and telling them from their viewpoint what was happening, what they had heard. And Jesus walks in, and he's listening to the guys talk. And he says, so what are people saying about me? Hey, you know, Jesus, I had somebody, they were saying that you must be John the Baptist, come back. I, wait, no, I heard that you were, someone was saying you were Elijah, the prophet from centuries ago, come back. And everyone's talking about how you're the greatest prophet of all. And he's letting them talk, and they're all excited about this. And he keeps on going until he finally stops. And he says, wait a minute, who do you say that I am? Peter, Scripture tells us, gave an answer. He said, the Messiah. But Scriptures don't tell us how he said it. We don't know if he said, well, Jesus Christ, you are the Messiah. A declaration, an affirmation of faith, a certainty beyond all certainties. Or, did he, um, well... They were, um, I'm thinking you, uh, you are the, um, uh, Messiah? (laughs) 
because it was his best guess. He didn't know for sure. And as it comes to find out, it really doesn't matter whether it was his strong affirmation or his best guess, because Jesus says this right after he hears Peter. Okay, I want, let me see if I can get this clear for you guys. I want you to understand what's going to happen next. We're going to leave here, and I'm going to spend the rest of my life in selfless devotion to all around me, to those who are needy, to those who are ostracized, to those who don't have, to those who wish they had, to those who are lost in what they have. I'm here to serve them all unconditionally. In fact, I'm going to live my life in such a way that I want to live it so that you can see exactly what God always intended life to be. And I'm going to tell you this, and sometimes the world is not going to accept that. So I want to let you also know I'm going to live my life in a way that at the end of it, they're going to kill me. I want you to understand that I'm going to be murdered. And it's not going to be a quiet murder. It's going to be a horrific public execution. I want you to understand that. That's where I'm going. You want to come along? Well, first of all, Peter says, there's no way in God's green earth I'm going to let that happen. I like the popularity we've got. I like the way things are going. And I love you too much, Jesus, to let you go the way you want to go. So, trust me, I got your back, Jesus, and they're not going to do anything wrong to you. And Jesus says, get away from me, you devil. You're not hearing me. I'm not giving you a vote. (laughs) This is who I am. If you want to follow with me, if you want to go with me, come on and go. But here's where we're going. In fact, he goes on to say this. If you want to follow me, here's how you need to do it. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will find it. Deny yourself. I mean, things have been going so well. Why do you have to mess it up? Why do you have to say that? What I find very interesting about this passage, and when you come back next week, you're going to discover they kept following him. They realized there was a lot more to Jesus they didn't know, and not everything about Jesus was automatically going to sit comfortable with them, but they kept following him anyway because he was their best guess. He was the one who seemed to be showing them there was something amazing about how he was living, even though some of it was hard to accept. And their best guess was it'd be better for us to follow him than to walk away. They soon came to discover that to deny yourself is not to beat yourself up. To deny yourself is not to say that somehow you're an unworthy piece of scum. In fact, Jesus was radical about saying to everyone, you are a child of God. End of story. That's, that's it. You are, I mean, right now, I, wherever your story is, whatever your history is, whatever mess you're in right now, whatever truth you're in right now, right now I'm here to tell you, first of all, you're a child of God. Don't deny that. And when you love others the way God wants us to love others, that's an honoring of God. 
When you live your life the way God wants you to live your life, that's an honoring to God. Don't deny any of that. But when you start to love others selfishly, when you choose to begin to do things with a priority about taking care of yourself first over all others, deny that and put Christ first. And in so giving up control of your life, you will gain the fullness of your life, abundant life, he says. And so their best guess was to follow him, and they did. And so we today are taking our best guess. I'd like to sit here and tell you, I want to make sure you know, I know everything there is to know about Jesus Christ, trust me. But the truth is, I don't. I know more about Jesus Christ today than I did prior to, and I sure as heck hope I know more about Jesus Christ in the days to come than I know now. But what I do know is enough to know that he's the one I want to follow. Because I do know that Jesus Christ changes a community and changes people. I was in a conversation not long ago with a person who was saying, you know, I'm not sure church is where it's at, and I'm sure not sure that religion is where it's at. And I said, well, I'm not all about religion either. So you want to talk about knocking the religion, I'm there. I don't, I don't have much to do with religion. But let me tell you why I think church matters. I don't think that people who aren't in church can't be hospitable and generous and kind and philanthropic. I, I, in fact, I know people who are. So it isn't that... Somehow people who are church are better than those people. That's not even the question. The truth is, I just know that I'm better than who I would be without Jesus. Amen? I mean, it's not about the fact that, oh, we're so superior. It's just, I know what Rick Dake would be like if I didn't have Jesus in my life. But holy cow, the comparison gets pretty quick to the point, I better keep Jesus in my life. Jesus changes the things I care about. Jesus changes the way I care about things and love things and love people. Jesus guides the agenda of my life in ways that gets me to places I otherwise wouldn't get to. And I'm here to say today to all of you, regular attenders and guests for the first time, we are about Jesus in this place, but do you understand that we're not here saying we know everything there is to know about Jesus? And that's the good news? Because you're here, I get a chance to know about Jesus. Because the one thing I have finally figured out in my life is, you don't have to be here to have Jesus with you. Jesus was with you before you arrived. But as you arrive, I can learn about the things that you know about Jesus that I never knew before. And I can share with you what I knew about Jesus. Together, both of us begin to learn more about Jesus. If anyone ever says to you, let me tell you about Jesus as if they're an expert and not a follower, be very careful. For we're all followers of this Jesus. So who is Jesus? I'm going to ask you this very personally and very sincerely. On your sermon note sheet, or in some other way this week, here's what I'm asking you. Who, if you were asked the question today, who is Jesus 
for you. What do you know about Jesus? What have you experienced about Jesus? If you don't know that answer, you don't know where you're going next in your journey with him. Because after you answer the question, who is Jesus for you? The question is, now what do I need to know more? What do I need to experience more? What are you going to do to become a follower dedicated to knowing more about Jesus in three months and in six months and a year than you know today? Why does this matter? Because Jesus matters. Jesus changes things. Now, when I say Jesus is my best guess, I don't want you to think I'm just throwing wild guesses out. We're here because we've experienced the power of Jesus Christ. I've seen it in action. I know what happens when Jesus comes into lives. This past spring, I was sitting at home and got a phone call. And in a little bit of time, I find myself in a hospital south of here with a family that was absolutely freaking out. Traumatic thing had happened that afternoon that was threatening to change the entire course of their life and involved a child. And you don't know what will come over you in those moments unless you're there, unless what you're afraid of or for is something happening to your child. They were scared to death. And I want to tell you that I was there because of Jesus. Now, I know you're going to say, well, you're paid to go, Rick. Yeah, in some ways I am. But the truth is, it is Christ who allows us to be where we need to be. And that's not true just for the ordained. Because what I discovered is that while we were in that little, in, in that waiting room, with, and there was no one else there because it was not time of the day and night to be there, it wasn't just us there. There were a whole crowd of people texting and calling and emailing and staying in contact, praying for this family, because they had a whole group of people who had become their family in faith in the name of Jesus. And I watched that night, and I watched for the weeks to come after that, this family get carried by the love and grace that others had for them, who dropped everything to come to their aid. And they did it because of Jesus. Now, you can say to me, well, there are other compassionate people in the world who rally around their friends. Yes, there are. But this group was because of their faith and experience in the love of Jesus Christ. And that's just my simple testimony to you. I, listen, if we, you ever want me to go on for a really long sermon, let me preach a sermon of things that I don't know. But one of the things I don't know much about is heaven. I haven't been there, and no one's shown me the video. You know, I, don't, I can't say much about it, but, but I can tell you that there are times I think I've seen glimpses of it, and I'm here to tell you that Friday night this week, I saw a slice of heaven. I was in another room in this building, and one of the most powerful two hours that I can testify to in a long time. And in that room, there are a group of people who wouldn't naturally be together if they were simply being a part of this community. Because this community, like all communities, tends to say, we're all going to stay alike in our own little circles, in our own little groups, and I'm not going to go hang with you, and you're not going to go hang with me, because, well, we're just not in the same circle. But in the room in this building on Friday night, 
there was a new circle established across all kinds of boundaries and said, everyone here is loved and cared for and has a right to be here. Everyone here is equal. And because we have dared to risk to talk to each other and know each other, a new community is formed. And you want to talk about the church in revolution. The church was in revolution Friday night. And in that room, I saw heaven occur because people's lives have been changed. Friendships have been bonded. And the future will never be the same because of what has been happening for those 16 weeks. Am I right? And I'm here to tell you, because a number of you are here today, that wouldn't have happened except for Jesus. I'm just here to tell you that. Because it happened, I got a stronger guess that Jesus is the way. And so, who is Jesus for you today? If you were asked the question, By him, what are you ready to say now? What are you ready to do so you'll know what to say next week? Or one night when you're in the hospital? Or one day when you're asked by someone who's seeking and wondering, who is Jesus for you? Let me make it perfectly clear. In this place, We don't know all about Jesus, but we are all about Jesus. Amen.